It is a Tuesday, January 31st. It's the day dreaded by accountants all over the UK. Tax deadline, tax return deadline day. How are you today? It's uh, your BBG back with you. It is... I think shaping up to be a pretty good radio programme. I've got two very good guests for you. You can join in via the website richieallen.co.uk. It's usually the best place to leave me a message where it says comment live. Let's do it then. Tuesday's programme. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, it's uh, very good to be back in your company today. I've got two guests, as I mentioned already. I'll be joined uh, this hour by Rachel Elnor. You know Rachel, one of the original dragons, entrepreneur and investor as she's launched a new political party. Why? We'll find out. We'll talk to Rachel Elno and we'll get an update on the farm in Derbyshire, the community uh, to protect against food apocalypse. She's had a bit of negative press about that. No surprise there, I suppose. So we'll talk about that with uh, Rachel Elno this hour. Later on in the programme, Marilyn Hawes from Freedom From Abuse. Marilyn is back on the programme. It was uh, revealed or announced today that a quarter of primary school children have uh, seen pornography, graphic stuff, and on Twitter, more so than traditional porn sites, what's going on there. We'll also talk with Marilyn, or I will talk with Marilyn, about the influencer Andrew Tate, who's getting an enormous amount of press coverage. He's a Jew, well, he is facing a trial in Romania on trafficking charges, but here in the UK, schools are very worried about the influence that he's having on the minds of young men. So we'll talk about that with Marilyn Hawes. That's Tuesday's programme then. Your BBG. Back with you. Good to be back with you. A little bit of a change of plan this week and this week only. I'm with you from Tuesday to Friday as opposed to Monday to Thursday. I won't get into it. Mentioned it on the social media and on the website yesterday so you understand why. Thank you. Again, do drop in on me during the programme. RichieAllen.co.uk is my website and I look forward to reading your comments as I go along. Now, the former Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, the man who was Health Secretary during the COVID scam, the very beginning of it, and most of the first 18 months of it, I suppose, or a year and a half anyway. Well, that is 18 months, isn't it? Most of the first year and a little beyond that, Matt Hancock, more, most famous recently for being on ITV's I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here, and even more recently, he was followed by a man who shouted a bit at him. That man was arrested. That clip went viral. Let's hear a little bit of Matt Hancock then on Good Morning Britain this morning. I think it's worth exploring some of this. Yeah. Can we focus first on the reason that you left? And that was uh, the embrace with your lover. Lots of people find it completely astonishing that you could stand at the podium month after month telling people to stick to the rules. But for some reason they didn't apply to you. Why not? That's a good question. Why did the rules not apply to Matt Hancock? Well, I, I was... Yeah, I'm only human. 
And Sorry, the whole country's only human, Mr Hanks. Yeah, I, I understand that. Why did we I all have to stick that. to the rules but you were exempt? Well, the, I, you know, I, this is what I've asked, this is what I've asked for forgiveness in the jungle for. Yeah, this is vaudeville. Th that phrase that you hear often on this programme, this is truly surreal, isn't it? I mean, the whole world is now a reality television programme. We, you and me, are in our own Truman Show, every single one of us, every day. The absolutely absurd thrown at us every second of every day and you are meant to take it seriously. I mean, for heaven's sake. Why did we I all have to that. stick to the rules but you were exempt? Well, the, I, you know, I, this is what I've asked, this is what I've asked for forgiveness in the jungle for. This is what I've asked for forgiveness in the jungle for. Yeah, a little bit more from Matt Hancock. Just a little bit more then. You know, the reason I think it's important that I wrote the book in particular, yeah. with the inquiry coming later, is it, I have to be completely open about what I did, why I took the decisions that I did, so that we can learn as much as possible. And I, he sounds so sincere. I feel really strongly about but that. But what have we learned? Well, one of the things, if I can, if I can contribute anything um, now, to the future of making sure this doesn't happen as badly again. It's making sure we really, really learn the lessons about how to handle these things, because there will be another one. There will be another one, he says with certainty, Matt Hancock. It's about learning the lessons. But of course it isn't about learning the lessons. There's only one lesson. Covid was nothing for most people to worry about, therefore they shouldn't have done anything really. Nothing just told the, the so-called vulnerable, hey, listen, you might want to, uh, you know, keep yourself warm and wrapped up well and take some vitamin C, some zinc, some D3 and vitamin D. Nothing is what they should have done. That's the lesson. Don't do anything, but of course. That's to suggest on, on my part that they made some fairly innocent blunders back in March 2020. I think we both know, you and me, they, there was nothing innocent about these blunders. And then... This. And, and one of the massive lessons for next time, because there will be a next time, is that we can't just abandon our testing infrastructure. Right. We need to be ready to go okay. in case okay. it happens. Let's come back to the question of, of public forgiveness. Someone yeah, before we get to public forgiveness, we, we can't abandon the testing. This is the, the world that they are planning for everyone, unless we say, hell no, we're not putting up with that. A world where, at any given time of the year, most probably the winter, most of the time, they'll say, there's a bit of a virus running around, we're going to start testing people. So we're going to send out some testing kits, and you'll have to test yourself. We have to get a picture of where the virus is, so you have to participate in a national testing programme, which will be run, of course, through mobile phones and tablets and God knows what, and eventually implantables, of course. This is the world. So what about that public trust or the erosion of public trust then? This is Richard Madeley, the inspiration for the character Alan Partridge. He's been watching this interview. Is a, a gentleman called Craig Bicknell. You, you might be familiar with the name. He moved his chair closer to his mother at his father's funeral yeah. in order to comfort her. Yeah. Other mourners moved a little closer to others to comfort them. And they were berated by officials. And the funeral mm -hmm. collapsed in, into the most appalling chaos. Do you remember this? You can find it online, the video. It's a terrible video. It's a video of a funeral funeral service taken by a security camera at the, 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 I shouldn't say venue, but at the little chapel indoors. And they're all sitting there. 
but uh, two, three metres apart, close family members. And eventually, some of the family members, they see the absurdity of it, the lunacy of it, and they come together to, to, to comfort the mum the grieving mum, until somebody comes in, some somebody, in, some, some official person comes in and orders them to uh, to move their chairs apart again. So this is who he's referring to. He's been watching this interview and we've asked him what he thinks about you now, more than two years later, and he says this, the thing I can't believe is his, Hancock's, excuse for breaking the rules. Quote, I fell in love, close quotes. That's his excuse? Well, I love my dad. And yet I wasn't allowed to comfort my mum at his funeral. Yeah. There is lingering, enduring anger with yeah. you. I just so, wonder if the jungle, yeah. if the jungle experiments worked. Well, the rule... I wonder if the jungle experiment has worked, said Richard Madeley. Yeah, we'll park that. The rules around funerals were one of the things that upset me most during the pandemic. He didn't give a shit. Um, because of that the impact you know on people and i i really get that and we you know there were there were he had an excuse didn't he 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 loved his dad yeah but i he he had a reason like you did mine's not an excuse to i'm not um, i'm not making an excuse to to comfort his family of course of course and and what I'm asking is, is it too soon to ask people to forgive you? Have you, have you, have you rushed this no, a bit? I, no, I think that... Is it too soon to ask people to forgive you? Have you rushed the asking for forgiveness bits, as Richard Madeley? But <clears throat> I think that it is natural to seek forgiveness. And for some people it will be harder than for others, and I get that. Yeah. We'll leave it there. 3,000 people a week are dying. 3,000, excuse me. There are 3,000 excess deaths in this country every week. Unexplained, largely. They're throwing out suggestions, including saying things like, well, people are not getting their blood pressure meds and, and one thing and another. They, they could be asking Hancock, um, you were the guy who part... Well, you were the guy. You were the guy in the job, in the health secretary role when the jabs came out. Are you not a bit concerned that they, there might be some correlation between so many excess deaths and the jabs that you told people were safe to take. No, I know, I know I can hear you from here. You are naive, Baldy, I know. I know, I hold out some little bit of hope, though. We'll leave Matt Hancock and his book and the jungle and Richard Madeley there. Now, Nicola Sturgeon gave a very interesting interview. This is the First Minister of Scotland. She has been embroiled in a row about transgender prisoners or more accurately, trans women, which is gibberish, right? A trans woman is a man who identifies as a woman who, who might end up in a women's prison owing to a new law or a change in the law that Nicola Sturgeon's um, um, Scottish National Party atten- attempted to bring in. They attempted to amend the Gender Recognition Act to make it much easier for people to identify as whatever they wanted to identify as. So for men to identify as women. They reduced the time that you needed to spend living in your gender down to three months. You didn't have to have any medical intervention at all. You'd get your certificate and it would be pretty easy. And women's rights advocates said, well, there's a huge problem with this. And that problem is that you'll get, women will be attacked in in women's prisons and in other areas that have been reserved exclusively for women. 
and Sturgeon has been in trouble. She had to back down on plans to place a a rapist who identified after he'd committed rapes, uh, then identified as a woman. Plans to put him in this prison, those plans had to be thrown away. Uh, and she gave a very interesting interview to Channel 4's Kieran Jenkins yesterday. You might have seen this already, but let's have a listen. The interview was about Katie Dolotovsky, a trans woman, again a man, with a record of committing sexual offences against girls. He was sent to a women's prison last year. Have a listen to this, Kieran Jenkins, with uh, Scottish First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. There was media focus and public concern when Katie Dolotovsky was sent to a women's prison last year, a person who's committed offences against young girls in female toilets. Were you content with that decision to send her to a female prison? The prison service has had a system of risk assessment in place uh, for many years, as prison services in other countries uh, do. The system in Scotland, as far as I understand it, is not materially different to other uh, countries. And that is operational decisions for the Scottish Prison Service that they reach after robust risk assessments. I'm asking you, were you content with the outcome of that decision? These are operational decisions that have uh, been taken by the Scottish Prison Service. So was the recent case in which you did intervene. So why did you intervene this week and not then? Well, the concern that has been given rise to because of the focus, I think, for the general public uh, needed to be given... uh, greater clarity and secondly the the focus that we've seen in recent days for the trans community itself remember like the general population the overwhelming majority of whom commit no crimes ever of any description it is important to say that decisions that in these cases are more likely to have been arrived at anyway through the risk assessment we put beyond any doubt by the presumptions that have been set out but you've said that you didn't want a male rapist in a female prison I'm asking you about a transgender person who committed offences against teenage girls in a female toilet. That already happened. She was sent to a women's prison. You don't seem able to to tell me whether or not you think that was acceptable. I'm not not going to comment on decisions that have been taken in the past by the prison service on the basis of risk assessments that they have carried out. We have seen in recent days, uh, and that's just a a fact of life, a, a heightened degree of public concern around these issues and what we've done is set out clarity uh, that in in many respects are giving clarity about decisions that the prison service in all likelihood would have reached through the normal procedures anyway Uh, and I think that's important and I think it is the right thing to do pending the outcome of the broader review that is underway. Yeah, that was uh, Nicola Sturgeon speaking to Channel 4 journalist Kieran Jenkins, and that was yesterday. Interestingly, on this, Liberal Democrat, different party, MP Christine Jardine, was on Talk TV with Julia Hartley Brewer this morning, and they got into this. And it's interesting. Let's have a listen to it then. Let me just bring that back up. Yeah, this is Christine Jardine, Lib Dem MP, speaking on Talk TV with Sir Julia Hartley Brewer. So, so a man who is behind bars for fraud, who then says, actually, my name's Cynthia. I think I've been born in the wrong body. I'm a woman. You've got no issue with that man, after a risk assessment, being put in a prison cell with a woman. I have, I have a issue. yes or a no. It's not a yes or a no. Why isn't it a yes or a no? I have a problem with it. To me, the answer is, yes, I have a problem with it. It shouldn't happen. Why is that not? I mean, it's it's a clear-cut thing, isn't it? Because you're not putting forward a situation that would actually happen because anyone, anyone under the new GRR rules has to go through the same processes to change their identity. It's only about the paperwork. And I think we are not looking at where the real 
issue in society no, is... No, with all due respect, Christine, you're sidestepping. It's very, very simple. You're saying there should be a risk assessment. Of course, someone who's convicted who's convicted of violence or sexual violence against women shouldn't be in a cell with no, women, whatever they, whatever, however they identify. So you're saying that, so at that point, they're not women, they're trans women who are men who are therefore a danger to women, okay? But you're saying, they, you're perfectly, you can see a circumstance when a trans woman, i.e. a man, who has not got that history, risk assessor is not a particular high risk to women, could be put in a prison cell. I think it's really, really clear. No man should be put in a prison cell, put in a women's prison, full stop, end off, nothing to discuss. For you, there's a nuance there. I don't understand what that nuance is. I didn't say there's a nuance. I did not say there's a nuance. I said, what I said was, if you have a woman, you have her in a women's prison, if you have a man, you, I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. Women are in women's prisons, men are in men's prisons. What we have in Scotland, the issue is about the risk assessment of all sexually violent and violent prisoners. And that is what Nicola Sturgeon has um, looked at and called for a review. And I think that's a good thing that she's reviewing the risk assessment because I know that there are genuine concerns that people have and these concerns need to be addressed. The risk assessment, and, the, the, and, sorry, the risk to women is being put in a prison cell with a man. Well, that is why they're doing the risk. Uh, well, you don't need to do a risk assessment. Yeah, yeah. Look, look down his pants. Oh, look, he's a man. He doesn't go in a prison cell with a woman. I wonder if it is becoming... If it's getting to the stage, how did the majority of us treat people who identify as the, the, the you know, people born as men, but who identify as women and vice versa? How have we treated these people in the past? I think we've treated them, I think, broader, broadly, broadly, society has treated people like that with great compassion. I think, and understanding. A little bit of empathy if that's possible. Sympathy for certain. And that's how it's always been until very recent years. I think it's getting to the stage now where people need to campaign for the law to be changed. For a change in the law. Or for the introduction of a law that says that nobody who is born as biological male can ever be considered by the state, can ever be given legal status that that should never be basically enshrined in the law because this is such a dangerous issue now. That's, that, that's how far I would go. Yeah, of course you, as a free-thinking, um, free-living human being, can do, can dress as you like and can claim to be that whatever it is you like, you, you choose to claim and if you want to change your pronouns and if you want to be if you want to adopt a female name that's fair enough but this will never be written into law we will never give you the legal status we'll never say yes the law recognises you are a woman that needs to happen I think at this stage and while for years you know and you wouldn't have met too many trans people again you would have been kind i certainly was always kind to people a bit different you know minorities regardless right always kind puzzled of course you're puzzled right jesus there but for the grace of god like it could be me but uh, polite and and inclusive without being told you need to be inclusive that's how it was but now maybe more of us need to 
be a bit more vocal in saying when the opportunity arises, not to be bullying people, but when the opportunity arises to be saying, look, um, it's impossible. You're, no, 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 women do not have penises. There is no such thing as trans women. That's gibberish, that. There are men, there is gender dysphoria, and that's that. And more of us, I think, need to be a bit more vocal and not to play along with this lunacy. It's 20 minutes past the hour. Marilyn Hawes will be on the programme a bit later on in the show. This hour, Rachel Elnaw will be live from Derbyshire. That um, is only a few minutes away. Any comments at all, do send them through the website, richieallen.co.uk. And uh, I'll be glad to read them if I can get on the website. I haven't tried yet, but hopefully I'll be able to get on the website. Um, My great friend and your great friend, Paul Ripley, celebrates his birthday today, this Tuesday, the 31st of January. So if you know Paul on social media, do say happy birthday uh, to him. He's uh, one of the the greatest guys I've ever known, a gentleman and a scholar, huge part of, um, he he played a huge part in, if there has been any success, there has, in the success of the Richie Allen show. He's the engineer um, extraordinaire, but he's also my great friend and it's his birthday today. I didn't ask him how old he is because I'm very, I'm very kind. But he's older than I am. Right, this is Claire Grogan, Altered Images, Happy Birthday, back with more in two minutes. Altered Images, Happy Birthday, 24 minutes past the hour. It's uh, the Richie Allen Show, what else would it be? Tuesday's edition... And a uh, bit grim up north. I don't know what it's like your end, but I'm going to bore you again. It's the 31st of January. This is a real thing for me, a very real thing. I genuinely get a lift, get a, you know, a kind of a kick in the backside, but in a good way. Once we get into February 1st, it means a bit to me, I think, right? We're nearly over it now. I've never been a winter man. I was a winter man when I was younger, when I was a bit broodier. And a bit more melancholy was was you know would descend on me over that period of time. The dark nights I didn't like it, but I, I sorry I I didn't mind it. You know I used to think of it as a place to hide really the winter, and uh, these days no I can't bear it, and I'm only chuffed that we're we're on the way out of it. Shall we welcome Rachel Elno back to this program? Let's do it. It's been uh, it's been three or four months since she was on the program. Um, comments, please, to richieallen.co.uk. I will uh, read your comments when um, we've uh, when we finished our conversation with Rachel. Now, I don't need to say too much about Rachel Elnor to you. Very successful entrepreneur. I can never say that word. Of course, one of the original dragons. We met Rachel when she was purchase, purchasing some land in Derbyshire. And uh, like a lot of people, was very concerned about, um, well, the availability of food in the very near future and wanted to build a community around that. Um, let's welcome her back to the programme. Live from Derbyshire, it's Rachel Elnor. How are you doing, Rachel? Welcome. Oh, hi, Richie. Thanks for inviting me back on. Good to have you back. Well, thanks for accepting. It's great to have you on. Now, before we talk about how things are going with the farm and the silly negative... I'm not a negative guy now, but I'm going to mention some of the crappy tabloid negative nonsense because we've got to put some of that straight in a few minutes. But let's talk about the um, political party. You're planning to run, I believe, the next general election you're going to run in Derbyshire 
and you've launched a party and I think there are two other, primarily anyway, at least in terms of leadership, two other women involved. It's uh, the Love Party. Tell us more about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. We've only been going a week. We launched last Monday, the 23rd of January 2023. And love stands for liberation, opportunity, vitality, empowerment. And so those are our values. And um, it was just such a brilliant name. Um, Lynn Irving, who is our leader, she came up with that. And I just thought, wow. I felt an instant heart expansion when she said it, when she suggested it. And I thought, wow, that's a brilliant name. And personally, I think it's kind of marketing gold, although it has had a bit of a Marmite response because people are saying, oh, no one's going to take you seriously if you call yourself love. And it's a very weak word. But actually, personally, I think it's one of the most powerful, well, the most powerful word that we could have chosen. And I think it's about... Um, not taking politics serious seriously and appealing to all of those people who've lost interest in politics because it's so uh, either they've they've lost interest or they just don't believe that they've they can make any impact anymore. That's interesting. So, so on, on the one hand, you might be thinking, look, it's to say it's a mountain to climb to get elected is an understatement. So is awareness more important for you than any idea that you might end up in the House of Commons? <laughs> well, for me, one of the the reasons why I, I first got involved in politics wasn't particularly because I wanted to get elected as an MP, although I would be happy to stand. But it's a it's a way of opening a conversation. And one of the interesting things, and I first got involved with the Freedom Alliance, which was a very interesting uh, first, (laughs) you know, foray. Um, But one of the interesting things I noticed with all the by-elections was that the vast, vast majority of people didn't bother to vote. So in, for example, the Stratford and Ernston by-election last December, 74.2% of the electorate didn't actually cast a vote. And that's people who were actually registered to vote, let alone the wider population, because not not everyone registers. So there's a huge amount of people who are sitting there who aren't even bothering with politics. And can you imagine if we could re-energize and inspire that 74.2% to believe that the people could um, vote in a party which is by the people, for the people, to me, that is, from a marketing point of view, that is the place to focus our energy. And, and to those listening to this who might very well admire your, your, your pluck and your ambition, but who say, but Rachel, that is the, the, the establishment. That's kind of like the heart of, of um, that, that's the, the, the belly of the beast almost. Like, you know, why, <laughs> why, why try to change something from within that system? Isn't what you've been doing um the right way to go from the outset like what you've been doing building a community making yourself self-sufficient isn't that the way forward rather than than elections what would you say to those well uh, to me it's not an either or it's a both and more and more and more and i think that every every way that we can weaken the system every way that we can speak out pattern interrupt question the system stand in opposition, make it difficult, throw a spanner in the works, every single way that we can do that, why not go for it? 
Fair enough. Do you want to give us, um, I, I will ask you later on anyway, there is a website for, for the uh, party, isn't there? Do you want to give us the domain name? Yeah, it's love-party.co.uk. Couldn't be simpler. Love-party.co.uk. Do check it out. It's also got a Twitter uh, page. To find the Twitter page for Love Party, the, the Love Party, excuse me, just go to Rachel's Twitter and you'll see it. It's on it's on the um, the, the, bio, the bio there. Rachel Elno is, is our guest. Um, 3,000 excess deaths a week in this country this year so far. Um, it, it might be waning. It might be coming down a little bit. Not a dicky bird understandably because the mainstream media does what it does it's it's a gatekeeper for all of this um what are you hearing in derbyshire do you think this is reaching people uh, rachel finally are people starting to wonder and ponder why so many people are dying unexpectedly well the sad thing that i am experiencing and this is via our stand in the park is we quite often have new visitors who turn up and they say they're fully jabbed. And the thing that woke them up was a personal tragedy. Either their mum had the jab and suddenly dropped dead or their wife had the jab and then within a week or two had had a blood clot. And so it, it seems to me that personal tragedy is the thing that is waking people up. And, and it is it's hugely sad. But I think it's getting to that point now. Um, and uh, I hate to say this, but I, I feel that this is only just the beginning of what is going to unfold. I mean, you know, I was I was listening to um, a video by an oncologist who was talking about cancer and just the onset of aggressive, immediate stage four cancer in people who were perfectly healthy before. So, you know, we are this is only the beginning of the impact of the jabs, unfortunately, that's that's what I suspect. Yeah, because some genuine experts, I mean, again, people who, of course, have been banned by the mainstream media, but 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 people like Bakhti and and others who I've had on, on this programme over the years, they warned that those people who continue to get these jabs as winters come and go, they're going to become even more susceptible to even the most mild of of, of viruses. So you reckon you know, we'll have these excess death issues every winter based based on this. That's how you see it. Well, not not just every winter. I mean... Ongoing. Well, we know from the Pfizer reports that 50% were placebos. And also we know that some of the doses were stronger than others, some of the batches. So it's a kind of Russian roulette, isn't it? And, it, you know, it depends, I guess, how long it takes for your immune system or your body to reject um, or to start eating away at itself. So if people have, have, you know, particularly if they've had several of the jabs, the chances are that there's already a process underway you know, on, on a health issue. You know, there's already an internal body process which is potentially um, life-threatening. How do you feel? I don't know. I don't know how much mainstream media you consume. Maybe with the with the party and the politics, you might consume more. Uh, Rachel, I don't know. But but when you see guys like Matt Hancock appearing on television to flog his book, his book about the 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 beginning of the so-called pandemic, which was never a pandemic, and his part 
in getting the jabs out there and into people's arms. When you see that and, and hear that, how, how does that make you feel? Well, I do feel that there's a massive cover-up going on. And it's interesting, isn't it, that all of the, um, the uh, should we say, um, the, the criminals of the peace who should be accountable are one by one disappearing. For ex- example, Jacinda Ardern, just, oh, I've, I've had enough, I'm resigning. So it's, it's almost like trying to cover their tracks and disappear from the crime scene. Yeah. So I do feel that, well, I, I hope that, that there will be uh, a judgment day when justice is done. But, you know, they have been clever because what's happened, uh, because this is so huge and the number of people that are um, are culpable in terms of just the thousands of doctors and nurses and officials and authorities that they've managed to uh, to implicate. It's such a massive crime that there's a a resistance to anyone even discussing it because there's so many people who are guilty. And and that is the clever way that they've structured it. Very interesting take that. Yeah, there's a lot of merit to that. And it was only late last week they announced that under 50s would no longer be routinely offered these jobs. And they also said that healthy under 50s who haven't had their first job, of which I hope there are many, they won't be offered uh, the first job. And I wonder, is that related to the increase in sudden death? I wonder, Rachel. You know, out of the blue, they said, right, we're basically slowing down this jab program permanently and we're only going to offer it to very old people. And I wonder, is that somehow related to the, you know, to the to the many, it's almost daily avalanche, you could even say, of, of sudden death? What do you think? Well, I think it's quite possible. But on the other hand, one of the concerning things was that the government has signed a massive contract with Moderna going forward many years yeah. to finance mRNA research and technology and investing in it. So the question is, how is that technology going to be diverted? Because, OK, so they may well divert it away from uh, COVID jabs, for example, but where else is it going to pop into? What other types of um, medical experimental procedures? I, I think we need to be very careful because what's they're not going to give up on the agenda. There's a there's a lot of money at stake here, so I can't see them giving up on the mRNA agenda. I think it will just be disguised and diverted into other forms of medical treatment. And you said money. There will be those listening to this and you you will meet them and stand in the park and they think it's beyond, well money certainly does play some part in it, but that it's about depopulation. And then there are those who say that's just too fantastical, that's just too crazy to even comprehend. But what, what is that something you consider that there is that, that there is a depopulation agenda at play as as mental as we would say when we were younger, as that sounds? Well, I, I think that um, you have to look at it from the mindset of the kind of ruthless corporate because 
That is who is behind this, the 1% elite, the, the, the big corporate minds that are behind the World Economic Forum that are strategic, but also heartless and soulless. And so they will essentially see the world as a business to be managed. And all of the people are, I think I mentioned this on your show before, um, all of the people are almost like human resources to be controlled and to um, to be to be basically command controlled. So if you're part of the one percent elite and you've gathered all of the world's resources to you, your biggest problem is actually the people, and you know, and particularly people rising up. And so how do you stop people um, rising up, taking control? Well, basically, you go to the the root chakra, you go to scarcity and you you control the resources and you um, basically, if you can get to that place of security around food and energy and travel and all of those base needs of humanity and control those, that's a very strong position to be in because if people don't comply with you, then they lose their food or they lose their rights to travel or to... Um, you know, to even to socialise after their family and to socialise and all those other things as well. You're absolutely right, Rachel Elno is our guest. Uh, do check out the party. It's love-party.co.uk. Brand new political party, only launched last week. Rachel, it's be- because it's been several months. Remind us about the farm, about the land. Uh, I couldn't help but notice last week as somebody who you know, scans and browses the, the national newspapers, the, the the tabloids and the broadsheets. You know, a bit of negative press coming your way. I suppose it's to be expected when you put your head above the parapet. But um, the Mirror in particular went after you. Um, the, the ridiculous headline, Dragon's Den Star turning vagina of land into farm for food apocalypse group. <laughs> Ludicrous. As far as tabloid uh, headlines go, uh, that that's kind of scraping the barrel. And the article was heavily slanted. It, it, it implied that you're not getting on well with your neighbours up there and that they don't seem to understand what it is that you're doing. Do you want to remind us, first of all, what it is that you're doing before we talk about one or two of these things? Well... The idea really was to pull resources and acquire some land. And we were offered the opportunity to buy 73 acres of land, amazing, stunning land at Crestbrook Dale in the Peak District. And it was basically, um, it's about 50 acres of forest and 20 acres of pasture land in the most stunning setting. Um, And it wasn't on the market and we were offered the opportunity and, and we, we brought together, you know, put out the clarion call and people came forward and we crowdfunded it and kind of created a community. So it was all all set out off with the best in, intentions. But of course, uh, we now realize just how much of a sort of allergic reaction there can be with like local villagers, because I think if, if it had been just a, a farmer who'd bought it, um, think that might have been different but the fact it was it was a whole group of us and it's very easy then to put labels especially if you've got a a former dragon so I've kind of been labeled everything from a rich capitalist who's going to develop the land right through to a kind of weird conspiracy zealot right through to a a hippie you know like witchy hippie kind of commune 
coming to do festivals. So I, I think there's a lot of fear. And I think that's that's what we've been really been shown. But of course, the thing about Crestbrook that we landed very, very quickly because I, I did quite a lot of uh, sort of deep journeying with the land and sort of looking into the feng shui is, of course, that Crestbrook originally was a mill village created by Richard Arkwright in the first industrial revolution. And here we are headed into the fourth industrial revolution. And uh, Crestbrook was one of the original dark satanic mills back in 1779, when, when it was originally built on by Richard Arkwright. So it's we're, we're at that point where the whole world is being turned into potentially if the agenda goes through, the whole world will become a dark satanic mill. Because obviously in those days, if you didn't agree with the mill owner and you didn't comply, you lost your job, you lost your house, lost you lost everything. your food, you yeah. lost everything. And that's exactly, um, it's a microcosm. Crestbrook is a microcosm of the macrocosm of what is happening across the planet. And that's the interesting thing. And I think that is, I believe that is why we were attracted there. Because it is it is like a mini version of what is happening on the planet right now. And you are obviously very well spoken, articulate, you're obviously very bright. And I can imagine you're pretty gentle when you meet people. So when you meet the occasional villager who thinks that you've brought a Jim Jones type cult to Derbyshire, which, <laughs> which you obviously haven't, right? But when you do and you say, no, look, I'm a bit concerned about what's going on in the world and... Um, this is why we're doing the farm. It's all pretty um, organic, not not to, to no, no pun intended. But um, this is why we're doing it. Do you get do you, do you get some understanding then from people? Do do they kind of you know do they, does does the kind of fog lift for them and they think all right this is okay or is there still that suspicion? Do you think up there? Well, I think the big challenge is that the. The psyop, the mind control, the programming is so strong that, and particularly with people who only consume mainstream media and the BBC, that, uh, and this is, it's, I mean, we're, I'm sure you'll know this from people who, uh, you know, who you know, who, who are only in that world. They will think that, uh, or they do think that people like me are absolutely bonkers for even questioning anything like the jabs. And as I said earlier, it takes a personal tragedy. It takes that level of pattern interrupt for people to, to wake up and realise, oh, my God, they were right all along. We've been had. Exactly. I so, hear that, yeah. You know, and one of the things very early on with Crestbrook is we, we said to the locals, you know, we've acquired this land, hey, who's interested in gardening? Let's create some communal gardens and let's all grow vegetables and let's feed everyone in the whole village. And I, the the reaction was unbelievable. It was like, we don't need your vegetables. What makes you think we need vegetables? You know, it was kind of like super aggressive and hostile. And it's like, whoa. Um, so we've kind of got to that point now of just holding holding space really for the situation and um and really just going deeper with our own uh our own inner work to be honest if you know anything about sort of healing and trauma healing if you want to if you want to transform the externals 
you go deeper on the inner planes. And we've been, uh, you know, particularly the women at the heart of it, we've been we've been going quite deep with our own inner work. And it's quite interesting that out of that, the love party has kind of hatched. Yeah. Um, so I do feel that things are on the move, but we're we're between two paradigms. We've got the old system, which is crumbling, and a lot of people still in that in that old world. And then there's a huge wave of awakening consciousness of people who can see what's going on, and aren't just aren't just complaining about the old. They're actually positively co-creating a new way of being, a new way of doing politics, a new way of of uh, doing business and and um, co-creative communities like the People's Health Alliance, the People's Food and Farming Alliance. So there's a whole wave of organizations now coming through to co-create a different way of being on the planet. And I, I, you know, we're part of that with the, the Love Party. Isn't it, when I hear someone like you say to me, you know, we went up there and we said to people, look, we've got this space, let's do some communal gard- gardening, let's grow some vegetables. What what has happened to ha- the disconnect that has grown uh, up, that, that, that has kind of materialised over the last couple of decades between people? I mean, there was a time when that would have been received with great interest and great enthusiasm oh we've got a lovely new neighbor fantastic but we've been driven apart haven't we people i mean even in inner cities and neighborhoods where people don't know who's living next door to them they don't know who's living across the street what a reaction you lunatic i mean what a reaction you lunatic you know instead instead of like well that's fantastic thanks for the offer i'll give it some thought you know i've never planted a seed in my life rachel but you know what i'll come around and i'll have a look the disconnect must be startling for you well maybe it will take scarcity to come in big time for people to go, actually, maybe that wasn't such a bad idea. I mean, there are times when I go to the local co-op here, the local supermarket, and the shelves are absolutely empty, you know, of vegetables, fresh vegetables. And I know that when, um, just thinking back not so long ago, there were ho- uh, huge issues with transport from p- places like Spain. Yeah. And, you know, things like peppers, and you just couldn't buy fresh fruit and veg. Um, and so you know, local local farming cooperatives absolutely have to be part of the future because otherwise we are reliant on big supply chains and it's so easy for those to be controlled and to break down. And also, as we saw with the whole lockdown thing, you're not allowed in the shop unless you've had your jab or you've got your digital ID. Yeah, yeah. And then you have this particular government then, and of course, it's they're all the same, it'll be Labour, next time and they're talking about rewilding more land and doing less farming and being more reliant on stuff coming in from overseas. You're listening to Rachel Elnaw, by the way. Love-party.co.uk is a brand new political party. Let me, in the just in the brief time we have left, since you've dipped your toe, not for the first time, I don't think, into the world of politics, I'm going to throw a couple of random issues at you now. You don't have to answer any of these if you don't want, <laughs> because we, I didn't, I, I, to be fair to you, I didn't mention this before we came on, but no, it's pretty, it's pretty harmless, really. What do you make of this, trans rights issue which has grown up or blown up in the last couple of years particularly in Scotland where the Scottish First Minister has been well hammered from every so well from nearly every side 
for you know supporting the place the placing of trans women which is somebody who was born male but identify I know you know this just for our listeners somebody born male but identifies as a woman and is still intact hasn't had any surgery being placed in women's not just in women's prisons but in women's spaces as a woman yourself I hope I haven't misgendered you Rachel but if I have I apologize what do you have an opinion on this what do you think when you when you see this getting so much coverage I think it's absolutely crazy what do you think well i feel that many of these issues have been taken and latched upon as i I would go as far as to say satanic inversions and um you know i think that's what we need to be careful of when when there are agendas playing out uh, again to divide and divide and and create chaos and confusion because that is the Masonic motto, ordo ab chao. So the more the the more division, the more chaos, the more arguing that you can cause, the easier it is to control people. So choose any issue, whether it's the climate agenda or, you know, the the issue, this issue of gender. Um, it's a good way to create anger, yeah. fear, chaos. And when you can get people either in fight or flight, I mean, I've done four years of professional training in trauma healing. And so when you can activate people into fight or flight or freeze, their frontal cortex shuts down and they're very easy to trigger and to herd to get them to do what you want. So the more issues where you can create persecutors, victims, rescuers, the more drama triangles you can create, the easier it is to control people. So I think we just need to be very aware of how we are being manipulated and how how some of these stories are being planted to c- deliberately to create division, discord, argument. And there's a form of insanity to this, which, uh, you know, I think for me, the remedy is with all of these things, if you look at the word evil and reverse it, it's live. Yeah. I think get, get, getting back to nature and all things natural. And I think, I mean, I, was, I saw an interview um, with um, a guy who, a, a gay guy who was actually disowning this whole of this agenda, saying that it has been used, it's been taken and it's being used to create division. And even people in that community were were abhorrent about what was being done to create this this kind of dis- grotesque distortions yeah and identity politics is certainly a very important tool in the arsenal or weapon in the arsenal of the architects of this agenda, no doubt about that. Just a very yeah. final quick question, not polit- 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 not politics based. Did you drive a taxi when you were at uni? I didn't go to university and no, I've never driven a taxi. Have you not? Because um, I wasn't doing that thing. You know, sometimes before you speak to somebody on air, you'll obviously do, you look, you look for interesting facts. I wasn't looking for something. I think in one of those newspaper articles about about the farm, about the land 
there was a mention that when you were 17 you drove a taxi. It's hilarious what comes up in the media that turns out not to be true. It's a shame that isn't true because that would have been interesting. Listen, it's brilliant having you back on. Thanks for, for doing it. Good luck with the uh, with, with the party and I, I'm sure when you're putting candidates in, in elections you'll be doing the rounds of the independent media. I'm sure you'll come back, Rachel. Great to have you back on and just continued success to you and yours. Thanks, Richie. Great to have you on, Rachel Elno, of course, entrepreneur, and uh, of course, first one of the first, very first series, the first two series of uh, Dragons Den. Great to have Rachel back on the show. The party is the love party, and it's love-party.co.uk. Thanks to Rachel. This is your Richie Allen show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk, Fab Radio Two in Manchester, and it's on the TuneIn app as well at TuneIn. Com. I'm going to take a tune. When I come back, it's your comments. Thank you for sending in your comments. I really appreciate it. This is R.E.M. and Shiny Happy People. I think from the album Automatic for the People, but I've been known to be wrong, you know. The time is six minutes to six o'clock this Tuesday. That is Orium and uh, Shiny Happy People on the Richie Allen Show, Tuesday's version, or Tuesday's edition. Did I say version? I shouldn't have said version. Okie doke. Thanks for your messages, by the way. Thank you for them. Lots of them. So let's get through a few of them now. On the growing, Diane says, growing your own and uh, growing as much for yourself as you can makes total sense, or going your own way as much as you can. Look at corporate criminality in general. Why would anyone trust a corporation? That's Diane. Thank you, uh, Diane. Faisal agrees with Rachel. Not voting does nothing, while voting for actually any other party than the main three has an impact. That's in Faisal's opinion. Thank you. William says, I like her, Rachel, but I was gutted when she said she was taking PCR tests. That shocked me. Did she say that, William? I didn't see that. I didn't come across that. Um, that would surprise me. Uh, Vicky says, I'm not sure there's any point of any new political party attempting to join the race. The system is so corrupt that it needs to be stripped down and started again from scratch. It seems like the only way that any genuine People's Party will stand a chance of making a difference. Thank you very much. And Backbeat says, I'm always concerned when people as smart as Rachel, as Lawrence Fox, as David Curtin, etc. see the political puppetry and theatre that is this system of government as either legitimate or as a solution. There are absolutely no sides in what we perceive to be politics. Merely two cheeks of the same arse with the centre smelling somewhat foul. Sometimes the very best way to win a game is not to play. One cannot go to the very system that oppresses us for remedy. I did ask the question. You, you would have you would have kicked off if I didn't. I did put it to her and I've said a thousand and one times myself on this programme that um, I see no future in politics for any man or woman. There's certainly no solution in it as far as I'm concerned, but I respect others sometimes see differently. Richard says, I just checked how many Ukrainians have died so far in the war in the last uh, year, or nearly, is it a year or is it nearly, it's nearly a year. The BBC is claiming 100,000. 
which is 2,000 a week. So even in a war, there are less people dying than the excess deaths in the UK. That's an interesting one. Absolutely. Hmm. Patrick says it's a key bit of information that. Where is the evidence that 50% of the Pfizer jabs were placebos, presumably saline solution? What about the other big pharma companies? Well, I suppose the evidence is in their in their notes, in their papers, Patrick. So, of, of course, my tongue is in my cheek when I say that. You've got to take with a massive pinch of salt anything that is presented by a large pharmaceutical company. Well, this is what we did. Okay. You either believe it or you don't. I wouldn't be inclined to believe it, to be honest. Hi to Matt. How are you doing, Matt? In Markham, South, South Wales, who saw Claire Grogan and altered images back in September in the Concord in Brighton, and they were awesome, and she was gorgeous, says Matt. Thank you, Matt. And then he mentions the Six Nations is about to kick off. It is indeed Wales, of course, playing Ireland this coming weekend in the first game. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that myself. I might miss that game, actually, because I've got a ticket to see United on Saturday, play Crystal Palace. There's a good chance I might miss the Ireland game and Wales, but we'll see. I might catch some of it, you never know. Hi to Joe Public, hi to Brian, hi to Millie, who says we ain't going to vote our way to freedom because the government always gets in. That's Millie. Thank you, Millie. Appreciate that. Let me scroll down even further. Hi to Thomas, hi Thomas, hi to Kiki. Yes, I'm feeling a lot better, Kiki. Look, just to remind you, I'm with you pretty much for the rest of the week now, today, tomorrow, Thursday and Friday, in lieu of my downing tools yesterday. It's not as if I didn't work yesterday. I did. Quite a bit, actually. Did a bit of work on the website. I did some engineering work here. But, um, yeah, I was a bit sore and a bit knackered. Not, I don't get much sleep. I'm a guy who has struggled to sleep well for many a moon, many a moon. But since I had the the uh, the hit and run last Thursday, I've um yeah, I've been a bit sore and, and getting even less sleep. Patricia asks, is it wrong to suggest that being put in a cell with a woman is only part of it? What about a man who identifies as a woman is put in the showers with the women? Just wondering, says Patricia. Yes, it's been some row that uh, and, you know, I have a lot of sympathy with Rachel Elnor's point of view. Of course, this is identity politics, being stoked and being, you know, used as a weapon to further divide people. We've talked about this on the programme too many times. You know, people are subdividing themselves into more and more extreme and unusual identity groups with each identity group feeling that it is it is the most victimised in society and therefore in, in most need of protection. Yes, we've talked a lot about that over the years. She's right to make that point. The, the, the other side of that is, of course, that, yes, while that is definitely the aim to divide people, while governments and NGOs and think tanks and banks and then the puppet masters who control all of those things, well, they push the Great Reset agenda further and further, uh, not down the road, but bring it further and further, bring it closer and closer to fruition. We're killing ourselves over these issues. However, that doesn't change the fact that these are genuine issues, that these have real implications for women and for girls. At the same time, you have to acknowledge it is identity politics, it is an agenda, but it does have real consequences for people. 
it's ludicrous. And that's why I talk about it while knowing what, you know, or at least I think I know what's really going on. And that's the frustrating thing because it's obvious to me what's going on. But uh, we cover it because it is important and it does have real world, real life implications for, for females, for women, for real women, of course. Okie doke. Right, let me read some more of these comments then. RichieAllen.co.uk, my website, comment live. Craig says, all these discussions about who goes in what prison misses one vital component. There are no discussions with ex-cons to get their experienced perspective. Good point, that. Good point. Yeah, they haven't been... Well, maybe they have, but they certainly haven't been been writing about it or broadcasting it. Have you been speaking with ex-cons who might have been in uh, housed in a prison with uh, trans women? Good point, that. Uh, hi to... Let me scroll down here. Hi to Scottish John, who's listening in. Hi, John. First rule of being a human being is never forgive a Tory. Uh, hi to Baird. Hi, Baird. We're all so glad the government cares so much about our children. They're going to need to bring in an online harms bill ASAP. Digital online passports might be the only way to save our children from bad influences like Matt Hancock, I mean Andrew Tate. Yes, the online harms bill. Talk a bit more about that in detail with, of course, Marilyn Hawes. Uh, in a few moments' time, she'll be on the programme with me. Freedom from abuse. Don't uh, miss that. It's time for more music, I think. No, it isn't. It's time for this. Back in a moment. Hi there. It's Eamon here from Immunex365, and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter, and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. And I want to mention, I've mentioned this before, but I want to mention it again. Eamon Blaney, who runs immunex365.co.uk, is a great guy, a real supporter of independent media and freedom of speech. And if you are thinking about taking a supplement to give your immune system a boost through uh, the winter and the spring, get over to immunex365.co.uk and uh, consider picking up um, um, Eamon's product. And while you're there, uh, say hello to him. He really is a good guy. I'm not endorsing any product. I've never done that. You know that. But uh, Eamon is a great guy and uh, a great supporter of the independent media. More of your comments. It's richieallen.co.uk. It's comment live. Let me do it now. Let me do it. Hi Too Busy, who says, Watch The Bank of Dave on Netflix. It's a good watch. Taking on the banking system, pharmaceutical or military industrial complex, etc. To get an answer in their own courts is a start. Isabel says, Incredible what the lovely and so articulate Rachel said about the origin of the land that they bought and the similarity between the social situation when the land was first owned and the social situation now. It made me think as if history was not linear but cyclical and social situations were repeated again and again in different contexts but still same situations that we can learn what wasn't learned previously. That's very interesting. And thanks to Colin for the correction. I knew I was wrong. Uh, Out of time 
that's where OREM's shiny happy people resides. You're quite right, Colin. Not automatic for the for the people, which I think was the album which followed on, and I'm probably wrong again, from out of time, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Anywho, here's some sister sledge for you. Sister Sledge and we are family on your Richie Allen show. It is exactly 11 minutes past the hour. It's good to be with you this Tuesday, which all week, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday this week. Uh, and of course, there's Sunday morning melodies every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock UK time. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm trying to find something now. This is the thing. I don't often, th- while presenting the programme, I don't often think, you know, it would be great to have a producer now. Asher, to be great, like, to have a producer or an editor. I don't put... Now, I'm, I'm frantically searching for a story, but I can't find it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just going to have to play on, to play on regardless. So, let's do that and see, can we get away with it? But this is about uh, a new report... Um, into children accessing pornographic material online, which is, uh, it's emerged today. It's been given a lot of coverage today here in the UK, uh, and even it's been picked up in Ireland. And it's about how easy it is for youngsters in primary school in particular to access pornography. And they reckon that a quarter of primary school aged children in this country uh, are, are are finding it very easy to access pornography. And one of the most interesting things for me in that report was that it's um, they're more likely to find it on Twitter, believe it or not, than they are to find it on, I suppose, the, the more well-known uh, pornography sites. Of course, this is playing in, this particular issue, into the government's planned online harms bill. The government wants to, well, basically pass a law that will see the chief executives of social media companies potentially going to prison if they don't protect children from seeing this stuff online. I want to chat about this with a good friend of ours, um, Marilyn Halls, the CEO of Freedom from Abuse, uh, who has experience of this, a former teacher, and, and edu- she's still educating people, uh, children even, on these issues, goes into schools to talk to children, to their parents and to teachers about these issues. Marilyn, welcome back. Hello, lovely to hear from you, Richie. Great to hear from you. Now, I want to point out to you that we've got as much time as we need between now and seven o'clock. So we're not under pressure. This is not the mainstream media. I don't kick you off after seven minutes. So we've got loads of time. So I want to take these issues one by one. Were you, But you're going to say, of course, I wasn't surprised, Richie. But it did surprise me that 51% of these incidents where a child of primary school age will see pornography was coming on Twitter. That staggered me. It, not at all. It's, you, they'll find it anywhere. I mean, it's anywhere. TikTok will be a prize one as well. Um, it, I mean, only fans. Oh, my goodness. Discord, the number of children that are on Discord, which is actually uses the porn hub um, as the server. So there's loads of stuff floating through Discord. There's loads of about something like 1,500 videos of pornography that are on Fortnite, which is a children's game, and also on Minecraft. No. And 
Sorry to interrupt I, you. The I, reason the reason I said I was yes. staggered is because Twitter is a is a how do you describe how, how would you describe Twitter? It's 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 a platform for people to opine on various things or to chat with each other um, about the issues of the day. That's how I see it. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm really surprised that Twitter will contain pornography. I've not come across pornography on Twitter. Even well, by I accident. haven't, but then, I mean, they will they will find a way if they can. And we are talking of children as young as seven that are literally, and if I told you, and I'm going to tell you because, as you say, you're not mainstream media, these children as young as seven on their iPhones, and I do hope parents are listening up and taking note of this, they are going on the Pornhub, and I know about Twitter, but, you know, it, it, they will find it. Are you there? Can hear me. I'm listening loud and clear, yeah. Yes. I mean, they, they will find... That, so how else do they get it? Okay, Twitter, I see it like you do, as a thing where you um, you send out, or I will send out a link to something and say, oh, isn't that appalling, blah, blah, blah. But I just do it for that reason. So I don't understand. I don't use Twitter like some people do as a complete sort of chat room if you like as some do and then i you know you can also don't forget direct message people behind the scenes so i mean i have people that contact me direct messaging never actually goes out on visual twitter it's just to me on a uh, privately so it's quite possible to do it that way but they will go on snapchat premium and if they go into snapchat premium because snapchat is another one you know <laughs> um and they put in sensitive material it will guide them to the porn sites if they put in parents don't know this stuff if they put in an image of someone crying so basically tears and an aubergine that means ejaculating penis and it will go straight through to porn videos can't I mean, it, it's extraordinary. They, they will find a way. You've got to remember with seven-year-olds, they've got older brothers and sisters. Um, these iPhones, I, I said at Christmas, I put it out on Twitter, any parent buying an iPhone or an iPad for their youngster this Christmas, please learn the hidden harms before you start. Or don't buy um, one, Marilyn. This is what I can't understand. You see, we've got, as I said, we've got so much time, so that's great, so we can flesh these kind of issues out. I'm a free speech absolutist, right? I really am. Yeah, and yeah. no, I am. And I, first of all, I, I, I know there is a problem. Children should not be so easily able to access this stuff online, in my opinion. But I fear that governments will use, I don't think governments give a damn about children. And I think they will use, no, but they will use this issue and they will use this claim that they want to protect children to shut down or to make free speech a thing of the past more generally. And that's a problem that I have. We, we, we might come on to that. But you mentioned iPhones. I don't. I, I agree with the former uh, Children's Commissioner, Anne Longfield. Uh, I think she gave an oh, interview to the brilliant. Telegraph last week and she said, children shouldn't have these devices. They just shouldn't have Absolutely them. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. They don't need them. iPhones is something, and it's not like your old Nokia, you know, it's not, this is, I say I, you would be amazed the number of children, that's three and four year olds that are accessing, you know, iPhones and just knowing how to access it. It is, I mean, um, Ofcom brought out a figure of the number of 10 year olds, nine year olds that are I mean, it's, it's extraordinary the number of youngsters that have got an iPhone at such a young age. 
I think there should be, if you're going to sell phones like this to young children, there should be mandatorily a leaflet or something that goes with it. I, I would like you to keep them. I'm such an old dinosaur. I'd like to see them banned until you're 16 or 17. This is why we've got this problem in society now. I know people want to blame COVID for mental health with children, but I was teaching today 25 mental health nurses who deal with psychosis and all of that. And I said, the number of children and teenagers that will come through your doors with mental health will not all be COVID. What it will be is what they have seen and what they have watched on social media. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. So there was last year a 12-year-old, 13-year-old boy, beg your pardon, a 13-year-old boy in Norwich who was in the Crown Court because he had raped a 13-year-old girl. And in his statement in court, he said, I was watching pornography. I couldn't unsee what I saw. And the trouble is these kids are watching it so much, it's becoming normalised in their brain. Yes, and something else on that, in the report that came out, it said that more than half of children, because of the nature of what it is they're watching, they expect sex to be aggressive. Absolutely. Now, yeah. let me tell you what they're watching. I'm going to tell you, right? So let me tell you first about how big this is. We are talking, the problem is MindGeek. MindGeek are the big people in Canada who control all of this. If we could make them bankrupt, what a safer world it would be, right? Um, who is this again? Hang on, Marilyn. Who is this Mind Geek? Mind Geek, G E E K, Mind, M I N D, Geek. They're based in Canada and they basically are responsible for all of this and, and control most of the main Pornhub platforms. Um, but we did a, a conference uh, six months ago, actually, uh, on pornography with Lee Day Law Firm because they actually sponsored me for all my conferences. And they came out with this as Gail. Gail Dines, who is the global expert on having done research on pornography and its impact. And she came up, she found this, right? Listen to this, it's extraordinary. A third of internet search requests are pornography related. Studies show that nearly 90% of the most viewed porn scenes contain sexual, physical and verbal violence against women. Now listen to this, porn sites get more visitors each month than Amazon, Twitter, and Netflix combined. That is astounding. More more visitors each month than Amazon, Twitter, and Netflix combined. There's so many of them. The explanation for that is because there's so many of them. I mean, there are tens of thousands. And you mentioned OnlyFans earlier, which is a more recent phenomenon. And that's a kind of a tragic thing because you get a lot of women... Who you know who are maybe not doing very well financially? Who think I'll go on there, and um, you know I I will maybe pose nude on there or or whatever. It's that, a pimping a, site. Yeah, pimping yeah, site. pretty much. Yeah, I'm I'm currently mentoring three thirteen-year-old girls who are selling nude images of themselves on OnlyFans to fund, wait for it, their drug habit, and the schools go, oh, don't know how to deal with it. Excuse me, then don't be in teaching. Well, here, well, here's here's the other question. Then, where does the responsibility ultimately lie? I believe it well, should I'm, with the parents. 
first and foremost it's the, the parents. parents but it's also let's be no doubt about this it is the government it is the greed of the money involved in this and it's the people at the top who don't want to change it because of the money and how high and deep and wide does that go the people at the top who think they rule the world yeah. will be part of the funding of this but as you say in our own doorstep we, we are looking at parents who buy these devices, leave their kids alone in their bedroom with it. It's a simple way to make this safer is get the devices out of the damn bedroom. Get them out of the bedroom. So, do, you, do you understand where I'm coming from when I worry that because I don't believe they give a damn about children, that they're going to use the legitimate threat to children, but really to go after free speech online more oh, generally? Believe I, you're not you're not making this up. The, at the moment, the online safety bill is is no better than toilet paper, in my view. Um, you know, they are hooked on this free speech. Free speech, I totally agree with. But I do not believe you're, you're talking of two things here. It's a double prong attack, really, isn't it? You've got the safety of children, which is paramount. And you've got absolutely right, free speech. They have to be separated. You have to do this separately where children are blocked from these apps and these yeah. issues. I mean, the problem is here as well are the algorithms. Now, this is something that the technology companies could so easily do. If I said to you now, so say I went online tonight on my phone tonight and I thought, oh, Richie Allen, Richie Allen talking about pornography, right? And, and I maybe do it at your idle interest two or three times, but the word pornography will be picked up and I will be inundated through the algorithms that, oh, I'm interested. So that very, very sad case of that lovely little girl, Molly Russell, last year, if you remember, she took her own life badly. Yeah. And it was the first case where a, a coroner said Molly Russell didn't take her own life. She was encouraged by social media. Correct. That girl had 2,000 videos that she had seen on suicide. She didn't find them. They came through Pinterest and Instagram and uh, TikTok. They were absolutely deluging her because she'd gone on with an interest in suicidation thoughts and boom, you can't, and the kid goes down the rabbit hole and you can't get out. Are you telling, are you telling me, are you telling me that rather than discuss suicide with Molly, that there were people actively encouraging her to get on with it? Let me tell you something, that when they were subpoenaed, the people from Meta and the people from Pinterest and also Instagram, when they were subpoenaed to the court, they had the person in charge of educational well-being, right? And she said that they thought this was being helpful to people with suicidation thoughts. Now, she's in charge of emotional well-being? Excuse me? Yeah. I mean, what is she on? I mean, she should have been sacked. I mean, you, you, anyone, anyone with suicidation thoughts needs proper help not to be inundated with other people that are feeling the same way, and this is how you can do it. Do you know the latest thing? In, let me tell you about this. This is how awful this world is. Roblox, yeah? Children's game, yeah? Children's game. Horrendously dangerous because a lot of the little avatars on Roblox are actually paedophiles. But Roblox has now brought up a game within the game, right? So you've got Roblox, and within Roblox is something called the game. The game 
is showing and showing children things about suicide, self-harming, eating disorders. Nine-year-olds play this game. Eight-year-olds play it. But those Who are in their right mind. No, that? those are crimes, and they are existing crimes. They so, are crimes. Yeah, I'm totally. But th- th- this is the problem I have. Why the need then to introduce an online harms bill where you talk about things that are not illegal but potentially harmful? And I want to talk about that in a moment. I don't want to get away from children because that's your area of expertise. We've got Marilyn Hawes on the line from Freedom From Abuse. Look her up online and do support her, please. This is a lioness for, for, for children's rights and protecting we, children. We have no funding. You get nothing, no I know that. Because I'm not woke. I'm not woke and I'm not politically correct. I don't care. I speak reality. And this is, I'm going to explain to you now what exactly these youngsters are watching, OK? Yeah, but before, you do, before you do that, let me make my point. Okay, if, if Molly was going on, and we know she was Molly Russell, onto Meta or Facebook, and if she was coming across people, and God love her, she was sharing, bearing her soul, Marilyn, and saying how she was feeling... Anybody who suggested that she, um, you know, harm herself or take her own life, they were breaking an existing law. And I don't understand how companies can't use their very sophisticated algorithms to very quickly notice that and get Molly out of there at the speed of light and then get the person involved, uh, get the, you know, get them to the attention of the police. These are existing laws. And they're just not being enforced, you see. But my fear, again, is it's to throw the baby out with the bath water thing. You know, it's it's an encroachment on everybody's right to have a bit of privacy online. And for me to have a conversation with you online, it's just between the two of us. But I fear that's what they're coming after and using children and this legitimate problem, because it is happening. I know it is. I've been speaking to you for years and I know it's happening. But, but to use that legitimate problem, you know, children about whom I don't think they care one jot, to come after, to completely oppress the internet as a place where we can have a private conversation or even do a little bit of business privately. What do you say to that? Well, this is, this, is, this is why the internet was set up. The internet, I always say to the kids, the internet will never be safe because the internet was not created for kids as a platform for what we're seeing now. It was created for governments and the military to do business, to talk across different timelines, and then one person reared his ugly head, and he is called Mark Zuckerberg. And when Facebook came out, I said to my husband, a perfect storm is coming this way for which we will have no end. And I sadly was right. You called it early and on, yeah. Where we got. Mark Zuckerberg is the reason for all of this. How he hasn't been arrested is beyond imagination. I don't know whether he still does it. His children are more grown up now. But there was a time when even he wouldn't let his children have phones or go on the internet. Yeah. The internet will never be safe because it was not created for a child's platform. So here's the question then. Here's the question. If we both agree, and I think we do, that it should, be, it should be pretty straightforward for Facebook to prevent a child like Molly ending up with a scumbag who encourages her to kill herself. Their algorithms are so sophisticated. Why are they not employing the technology to stop that? That's the $64 million question. It's 
all to do with money. It's the wonga. It's corruption. If people at the top of society who think they run this world are corrupt, it's all about the money. And they don't give a toss about the kids. Because if they did, they'd have changed it. They are quite capable of changing the algorithms. They created them in the first place. Yeah. But, you know, I'll give you a simple example. When the Queen passed away, um, I just happened to be watching the funeral and I literally put in my phone no more than three times. I put in, ooh, Queen's funeral, where is it now? Blah, 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 right? For six weeks, I was inundated with stuff about the royal family. I can tell you what Princess Anne has to suffer, what she gives to people at dinner parties, who wore what pearls, where so-and-so's shoes were bought. I could not get the royal family off my newsfeed. And that's because three times, that's all, I just happened to show an interest and the algorithms picked up on it. And they follow you around. I don't get it now. It took six weeks for that to go away. And a child puts so an innocent term into a search engine, yeah. But, but how about the child who's thinking, oh, my best friend's got an eating disorder. So I, 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 because I'm curious, how can I help my friend? I go on and the next thing, I'm being inundated with things on eating disorders. Yeah. And then what am I going to do? Am I going to join my friend? Probably. Because I'm of an impressionable age. And that's Google. That isn't um, Facebook. So a child... It innocently goes looking so for some inf- yeah. it's yeah. Instagram is awful TikTok is dreadful Snapchat Snapchat dreadful they are um, they're dreadful Reddit oh my lord Reddit who thinks it's the front face of the uh, of social media yeah. awful awful Marilyn awful. if you had if you had your children in 2023 would you homeschool them now um, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, probably not. I can see why people do. Uh, and I know people that do and have, um, uh, successfully done it. I would still do what I always did as a mother then. And what my children are now doing with their children now. I mean, talk to them. I was never afraid of having a conversation with my children about in, uh, and yet still they were groomed and sexually abused because then I didn't know about how that works. I thought we were talking about the funny man in the park, you know, the yeah. man with no teeth and the dirty anorak, you know. I thought, I had no idea. So I don't go out on your bike on your own, don't take sweets from strangers, don't go in the park. That's what I thought, that's all my safeguarding training was, yeah. But nonetheless, I, I, we talked about sex, we had conversations, we had meals around the table, there were no phones. I get parents saying to me now, how do I talk to my child? How sad is that? It's the adults that have got the problem. You have to grow a spine and learn, get ahead of the game, learn what I am and you and I are talking about for the benefit of your child. You wouldn't say to your child, oh, you know what? The M6, just try crossing it tonight. You're five years old. Yeah. You wouldn't push your child in the River Thames and hope it can swim. And yet, every parent who's got a year six child will want their children to learn how to ride a bike safely. They don't give a monkeys about what their kids are doing online. And some do. Some do. And that is bad of me because we... some are very good parents and some are. I tell you what, I wish I could have a straw poll vote tonight on how many of you parents have got parental controls 
on your phone that actually controls your child's phone. And I tell you what, the number of parents that don't do it haven't even considered it. Few and far and between, one maybe. Step yeah. Forward. Let me ask you this. Yeah. yeah. First of all, it's a Marilyn Hawes, by the way, freedom from abuse. In case you didn't catch what Marilyn said, Marilyn is a former teacher and her children were groomed by their teacher. And that um, shocking, obviously, uh, terrible thing kind of, you know, opened up a whole um, brand new world for her to what was really going on with children and, and hence the campaigning ever since. Freedom from abuse is brilliant. Get onto the website and if you can support her, uh, do support her. Here's the problem. You and I come from an era when mum usually stayed at home and kept the household and looked after the children. That's got to be some factor in this. The majority of couples now are working. Both mum and dad are working and they're knackered, Marilyn, when it comes to 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. I know, I know. i tell you what, yeah, they are knackered. I agree. I got. Don't forget, I've got four grown-up children <laughs> and my daughter-in-law will work. My daughter works. But I, I used to say, oh, you've got to be there 24-7. And that's what I did because that's what we did. Um, but there's research that says as long as you're giving 25% of good quality time with your children, then, and I have seen this with my own grandchildren, they are all extremely well-adjusted. I would say brighter than my children were because my lot went to play school, you know. Um, and now you have proper nurseries. like uh, They are little baby schools. And, you know, they are properly monitored and all this, that and the other. But when it comes to the weekend, when it comes to mum and dad, and my kids have got very high-powered jobs and so have their, so their spouses, yeah? But when the kids come home from like 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock at night, uh, whenever mum gets in or dad gets in, there are story times. There's chats around the table. There's bedtime stories, blah, blah, blah. At the weekend, the weekends are devoted to the children. Like, what sports shall we do? Where should we go? Let's go for a walk in the countryside. Let's do this. It is devoted to their children. And that's what you don't see. They don't take their phones with them. My, my grandchildren don't have phones. And when they go out, my, my children, my grown-up children, don't take their phones. They have a conversation in a cafe with their kids, you know? How many times do you go in a cafe, a coffee shop, and the kid's got a phone, the mother's got a phone, the father's got a phone, yeah, no one's terrible. talking to each other? It's terrible, yeah. It's a it's horrible dreadful. thing to witness. It really is. It, it's alien to me. My... Yeah, I mean, again, being 48, obviously, these things didn't exist when I was in primary school. Listen, it's 23 minutes to the top of the hour. Um, We'll watch this space. We'll see how many amendments, you know, are tabled regarding this online harms bill. We'll see what what, what comes out of it when when it's eventually published and when when it comes up for, um, you know, for, for, for when it comes up for voting. You, well, they've been writing it out now. For they've years. Five years working on years. it. Years, yeah, that's right. Years, yeah. Five years. Five years. And I bet you still it's the freedom of speech that's going to win the day at the cost of the children's safety. And that, re- I mean, you know, people have got to start growing a spine and really calling this out. I mean, I feel like a lone wolf sometimes barking at a full moon. Do you know what I mean? No, no, I, <laughs> but I, I, I think get the you. Parents need to understand what you, you bought this for your child. It's not the schools. It's not the school. The schools do the best. I, but I tell you now, I'll tell you now, Richie, the few people 
the schools will get me in to work with the, the staff, the children, right the way through the school. We're going for a whole day. See, I was at a school the other day, 600 primary school children, right? 600. Across the day, all we had was 30 parents. That's appalling. That's shocking. They should be ashamed of themselves. But they're probably out working. They're probably out working and they're up to their necks in debt. They do it online. We do it online. We do it online. We do it from 7 o'clock at night when they can have their onesie on and a beer where they've got their video off and they still don't attend. There's no excuse. You bought the device. You are responsible for it. And no one else is. You push this baby out into the world. Your job is to keep that child safe. I'm sorry. I know I'm a dinosaur. No, you're not a dinosaur. You're not a dinosaur. I, I, I can't even imagine what sort of commotion you might have in a house if you did have six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds in the house and you said, and these are school-attending children, and you said, um, well, listen, mum and dad have decided you're not having a phone. I mean, sulking drama. The thing thing is, Rishi, you, you put, parental controls on. No one's saying don't have the phone. Well, I would. Because no, but hang on, I, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, Marilyn. Marilyn, you said to me before, I've got to pull you up on that. You said to okay. me before, you can put all the parental controls you like on a smartphone. Oh. The kids are too clever. It doesn't matter. They'll find a way around some it. Some are, some are, some are. The majority aren't, but some are. And those, those clever little dicks are going to find their way anyway. But I mean, the majority... There's a very good one called Safer Families, yeah? Safe Families. Download it for free. You put the children's numbers of the phones in your device. You control it through your phone. You set the filters. You set the apps they can see. You set the time limits and get the devices out the bedroom. I mean, if you... You, you know, did you never miss? I misbehaved when I was a child. I yeah. never followed the rules. I lied to my parents and said I didn't walk down that cutway, Mum. And yes, I did. And I got attacked. And I never, to the day she died, told her. We, you've got to remember what you were like as a child. Of course, that some of them are so IT savvy, but most of them are not that. Are not going to do all those things. But I just need to share with you what these youngsters are watching. So play date, sexual abuse has gone up. We're talking six on six-year-olds, seven on seven-year-olds has gone up. Because of the watching of pornography, it is now proven that pornography is causing the harmful sexual behaviours and assaults in schools because the boys are normalising it. Now, this is what they're watching. Are you ready for this? Yeah. Every video, every video contains strangulation, yeah. gagging, Jesus, yeah. spitting, spanking, humiliating abusive language, anal or vaginal rape, ejaculation over the face. And you have seven-year-olds watching that. And then it says, an introduction often says, are you man enough to watch this? So here you are, you're a pubescent 14-year-old boy. Yeah, of course I am, you know, macho me. I'm going to watch it. How are you going to cope with that? And then it says, oh, watch what women want. And that's why you're getting now girls who are becoming more compliant and going along with rough sex because they think that's what the boys want. The boys are becoming more aggressive because this is all becoming normalized. And then the girls are becoming more compliant and thinking. So I have to go in and talk to these kids 
and say, look, there's a word called no. And that, do you know what? Every time I say to a group of teenage boys about 14, look, I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here. I just want you to tell me why you watch this stuff. It's, it's just vile. I said, because, you know, in my day, my boys had magazines. Magazines were nothing like as invasive on the brain as, as, as this stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah? And every time they say to me, and I totally agree with them, because sex education in school is crap. Correct. You will not get sex education by watching pornography. But a teacher shouldn't be teaching anything like this. No. Oh, you got PSHE. You're going to go and talk to the school, the class today, year nine, 14-year-olds. You're going to talk to them about rough sex and the merits of not having it, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and your next lesson will be geography. It's yeah. absolute rubbish. They should not be even going near it. They don't know enough about real-life stories about what happens with pornography. And the trouble is, this is completely distorting the youngsters' minds because they have a thing called, when they watch it, boom, there's this powerful spike of our, of our pleasure drug called dopamine, right? Dopamine is very addictive. And the child watches this and, boom, it starts pumping gas. And dopamine... When they're doing this, and the young developing brain goes on to your 25, and it spikes, and it um, is addictive, and it starts over time. If you watch it too much, it will burn out your dopamine receptor. It's extremely damaging to the uh, the, the, the you know the, the developing brain, and and it's addictive like a drug is. So once it drops off, it wants more. So the child starts watching it again. And it's terribly, it's disastrous. What does it do? Even if a youngster is watching it two or three hours a week, when they're young, under 25, there's little bits of the brain that would be permanently damaged. It reduces the size of the brain. That's that it permanently. But they're going back from this. Watch it too much, it will burn out your dopamine receptor. You will not feel pleasure again. Okay. And is that is that yeah, why not, is that why they go looking for more extreme stuff then? So if it burns, they are, out, they are, they, yeah. they are. They, as they get older, yes. I'm going to tell you something else that's really scary as well. And over time, you men will get young men will get erectile dysfunction. Now, erectile dysfunction exists if it's a medical condition. It can be helped. It can be treated, but not if you've watched pornography where you have burnt out the receptor. So it's like if you kept on taking Panadol, you'd burn out your pain receptors. Yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So you've got that problem going on. And it creates isolation, self-loathing. It is addictive. Why are date rapes going up? Yes, of course, there is the drug element there. But a lot of young men are watching pornography before they go out. They feel entitled. They're already halfway up the wall, wanting to ejaculate. They meet an unsuspecting date, man or you know, boy or girl, whatever it is, and they're already pumping gas. And then they're pump, they're pushing on that person to have sex really quite quickly, and that person doesn't want it, so they get raped because that person is already highly charged because they've been watching pornography. I am not joking on this. I am not joking about this. No, no, it, I know, I know you're not. Missing. I know you're not. It's, it's um, the, the website, by the way, because I want to quickly turn to something that obviously is, is uh, related to this. It's relevant. It's freedom-abuse.org. Freedom-abuse.org. Marilyn Hawes, okay. Um, Marilyn is a tireless campaigner for the protection of children from from basically the horrors she's just been describing. 
I have to admit now we might have a little argument here, friendly, but it might be an argument anyway. <laughs> I, 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 I have to admit I got properly cheesed off last week listening to the BBC talk over and over and over again. When I say the BBC, I should be more clear about what I mean. All talk stations, so BBC Radio 5 Live, BBC Radio 4, constantly discussing a guy called Andrew Tate, an influencer. Oh, he's now, right, let's agree. Let, let's agree that this guy is a grade A scumbag. There's no two ways about that. But I've got he's a vile. He's vile. But I've got a real problem when schools decide we have to have special assemblies to teach young boys that Andrew Tate is a bad man and they shouldn't listen to him. I mean, that's a bit crazy, isn't it? I mean, surely most boys who will come across Andrew Tate will think, especially most teenage boys, they think, what a what an arsehole. I'm not saying they all will, but some of them will. And surely it's up to the parents to say, listen, uh, this guy Andrew Tate, you do know he's a Muppet, don't you? But special assemblies. I'm guessing you think it's a good idea to have special assemblies on this guy. Well, the thing is, half the parents don't even probably know who Andrew Tate is. And half your listening audience won't either. He is an ex-kickboxer, right? Um, from, well, originally originated from Canada, but lived in Luton and went on. A, he was a Big Brother contestant, right? And he got global internet fame. He now sees himself as an influencer, for goodness sake. But he incites violent, misogynistic world on TikTok, right? He's a really unpleasant character. And it is distorting the minds of young men to hate women. That's what he's doing. He's pushing on misogyny. There was a big article here. I've got it right in front of me in the Saturday Telegraph, in the Telegraph magazine and highlighted there is, let me just say, a growing, this is true, a growing number of pupils as young as seven idolise Tate, fueling a culture of misogyny among children. Now the government, they are so horrified by what this man is doing which is inciting boys to be violent to girls to to beat them up and do stuff like that to rape them to sexually assault them to put them in their place um he's now thankfully he's now arrested and he's in a romanian jail for raping young girls and women over there and he was then allegedly allegedly trafficking girls girls, yeah we we, we must say allegedly but he actually tattooed his name on them and all that stuff. I mean, but what the boys are attracted to, I think, is that they see him as macho kickboxer. They see him as, oh, look, he's got all the um, cars. He has so many girlfriends. He's got yeah. so much money. He's a global influence. He's got all these big cars. They're not looking what the vile lump of flesh he actually is. Can I ask you a question, Marilyn? Can I ask you a question in the time we have left? In fact, I'm going to invite you back on to talk about this subject exclusively. You see, I've got a real concern. Now, look, my my politics would would, would always have been Bolivarian socialist, right, on the left. (laughs) Always. I I have a huge... I, I think there's a big problem with society and young men. And young men coming of age and really not understanding what their role or their purpose is in life. You know, almost like, I don't want to say the emasculation of men, but there's some of that going on. And when governments seem to be concerned about Andrew Tate, again, I don't think governments give a damn about young boys and young girls. They don't give a damn, but also there is this, I mean, there was another thing, another highlighted title in this article. It says, Womanizer Wednesday topic included by Tate 
Why being faithful is the woman's job and the top eight signs to show she's a bimbo. So you've got this misogyny, hatred of women, which so he is a big fan of incel, involuntary celibacy, right? Whereas the men who are so disgruntled because they can't get a girlfriend are now blaming the women. Well, you know, take a look at yourself in the mirror, pal. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to do some workout. Maybe you need to... I don't know a teenage boy or a teenage girl that in puberty doesn't feel like I don't know really who I am. I don't know. You know, everybody... I mean, I'm sure every young boy, every young girl struggles with dating and avoid oh do I approach yeah but can I can I, can I jump in can I jump in I, I, I went to a co-ed school in primary and in secondary now when we were young we played kiss chase games I am willing to guess that at times when, when, when we were in our early teens in school that there maybe have maybe would have been some inappropriate touching but I don't mean on sexual organs right we would have chased each other around we would have grabbed one another, we would have hugged one another. Um, we might have said things to girls. Now, this is way before violent porn, but we might have said things suggestively to girls as boys back in the, you know, mid, mid-1980s, late, late 1980s. And most of that was pretty harmless. And it was boys expressing themselves as they're going through puberty and they are fancying girls. Now, this, <laughs> this, this has been forbidden, Marilyn. And boys are being told, I think, in some instances, and this is a side issue from the important issue we've been discussing, but in some instances, boys are being told, it's being impressed upon them, that these feelings are wrong and they're dirty. And that's a problem, that. Because it's not wrong to fancy girls or to be, you know, to have the hots for a girl, you know. But but uh, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very natural process. I mean, well, I do think this is where dads, you see, incel, is a, it is a real growing problem. There are so many mums who are having real arguments with their boys because they think Andrew Tate is the, you know, the bee's knees, that your know, women should be in the kitchen and women should be beaten. If not, he, he is despicable. But the, he, he is basically, it is like radicalization, what he's doing. Right? It is. It is like that. But there's a book. He's I was a sc- in a school the other man, day yeah. where the, I was asked to go in and talk. It's a very, very big school, well-known school. And I was asked to go in and talk to the boys about incel and misogyny, right? And this one boy made a very valid point about, do you think women have become too much feministic? And I said, you know what? That's a good point. Because I do think some women, we we should all respect each other, Richie. We are all here. We are all different. We should be working in synergy with each other. No one gender is better than the next. Because what people forget as well, there's a horrible thing here underlying this also called misandry. Misandry is girls who hate men and boys, and they are vile. And nobody, it's always the boys that are getting the bad Getting press, bashed, yeah, there yeah. There are plenty of vile girls who give boys a thoroughly bad time, and they seem to just slide away into the ether. So this is where we need strong, good dads are going to talk to their boys about what respect About what they're feeling, yeah, and that there's nothing wrong with it but respect. We need good dads that don't just leave it to mums. Can we we pick this up again next time? Because we're we're just bang out of time, right? But particularly this issue, you know, you know, the emasculation of men, the over-feminization. No, not the over... I I do think it's true. In my job, I meet a lot of women who have been harmed by men. I was one 
you know, my children were harmed and therefore me and I had 19 years of a domestic abuse marriage. You, I do not hate men, but I meet a lot of women who are anti-men and it's not fair and it's not right. It, it, there are some horrible men, helpful. but there's some great men. There's some wonderful men out there, but there are some assholes. And that's the same with women. There's some really vile, bitchy women out there. Let me just put them. Um, very I've, good ones. We've got to stop it there. It's freedom-abuse.org. Freedom-abuse.org. If you can support Marilyn, they get no support whatsoever from uh, the no, government or from don't. anybody else. So freedom-abuse.org. Um, that was education as educational as it always is when you come on. Thanks for coming on and we'll pick oh, it up again thank soon. Thank you. And we have to do this infill thing because it is... I have to talk to so many schools about this now. It's a real problem. And what are the government doing about it? Oh, it's extremism. Well, what are you actually doing about it? Nothing. Marilyn, thanks. We'll leave it there for today. Uh, That was Marilyn Hall's Freedom from Abuse, uh, freedom-abuse.org on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. That's it for me. Thanks again to Marilyn. Thanks to Rachel Elno, who came on in the first there. We're back again tomorrow at the usual time of five o'clock. Leave you with this, it's Bon Jovi and living on a prayer that might be apt, I don't know. Bye!